welcome to the People with David and Fam. My name is David Kim. And I'm Christina DM Fam. Thanks for joining us for episode 17. It's Saturday, July 31st, and you can hang out with us every Saturday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific time and on. Today, we'll talk about news happening right here in our city, including the latest on the coronavirus, whistleblower Daniel Hale, Los Angeles Municipal Code 41.18, and more. We'll also talk to organizers Abby Austin of Sunrise Movement LA and Amir King of Sunrise LA Youth, and also highlight community events as well. We're here to share what's going on in your neighborhood, talk about issues that impact you, and highlight the goodness within our communities. Remember, our show is rooted in you, the people. We're here to turn up the volume on y'all's voices. We're here to hold space for your concerns. And we're here to empower and arm y'all with the knowledge to make informed decisions as community members. So to kick things off, over the past week, California has reported an average of nearly 7,400 new coronavirus cases per day. The highest rate of coronavirus infections are among the unvaccinated between the ages of 18 through 49. In Los Angeles County, officials have reinstated mask mandates for all indoor public settings, venues, gatherings, and public and private businesses. Although health officials have stated that approved vaccines provide protections against coronavirus, including the Delta variant, they do not prevent the vaccinated from getting infected. However, they do protect vaccinated people from becoming severely ill and or from dying of COVID-19. So mask up, y'all. Nationwide, President Biden has announced that all civilian federal workers will need to get vaccinated or face regular testing. In New York, Governor Andrew Cuomo has ordered for all patient-facing healthcare workers at state-run hospitals to get vaccinated. On the other hand, the World Trade Organization has once again failed to agree on a proposal to temporarily waive intellectual property rights for coronavirus vaccines. According to the People's Vaccine Alliance, the cost of vaccinating the world would cost five times less. That's five times cheaper if vaccine manufacturers weren't making billions of dollars in profit. The PVA estimates that Pfizer, BioNTech, and Moderna are charging governments as much as $41 billion above the estimated cost of production. On Tuesday, prominent Democratic Party fundraiser Ed Buck was found guilty in connection with the deaths of two Black men at his West Hollywood home. 66-year-old Buck was determined guilty on nine federal counts, including providing methamphetamine to two men who overdosed in his apartment on separate occasions. 26-year-old Jamel Moore died in July 2017, and 55-year-old Timothy Dean died in January 2019. In addition to his guilty verdict, Buck was also convicted of luring men across state lines for prostitution and distributing methamphetamine. Each count of providing drugs that led to the deaths carries a minimum of 20 years in prison. Buck was initially arrested in 2019 after an investigation found that at least eight other individuals were victimized. Buck's fetish was to pay men, some of them unhoused, to use methamphetamine and have sex. More than once, those encounters resulted in suspected overdoses. And according to the DEA, when someone refused to inject drugs they were given, Buck would plunge the needle into them himself. Earlier this week, whistleblower Daniel Hale was sentenced to 45 months in prison for exposing the United States drone program. The U.S. government has convicted Hale of leaking classified information exposing the country's drone and targeted assassination program. In March, Hale pled guilty to one count of violating the World War I-era Espionage Act. Before his sentencing, Hale said to the judge presiding over his case, quote, I am here because I stole something that was never mine to take, precious human life. Please forgive me for taking papers instead of human lives, end quote. Edward Snowden, the NSA whistleblower, tweeted his support for Hale, saying, quote, Daniel Hale's crime was telling this truth. 90% of those killed by U.S. drones are bystanders, not the intended targets. He should have been given a medal, end quote. Robert Aaron Long, the white domestic terrorist charged with slaughtering eight people, six of whom were of Asian descent, 
at multiple Atlanta area spas in March has been sentenced to four consecutive life sentences without the possibility of parole, plus 35 years in prison. He was sentenced in Cherokee County, Georgia. Long still faces additional charges in Fulton County, where prosecutors will pursue the death penalty for hate crimes targeting the gender and race of the victims. On Thursday, Mayor Eric Garcetti signed LA Municipal Code 4118, the Anti-Homelessness Ordinance. Before it went to Mayor Garcetti, all LA City Council members, except for Mike Bonin and Nithya Rahman, voted to pass Ordinance 4118. The new ordinance, which goes into effect in less than 30 days, prohibits sitting, sleeping, lying, storing personal property, or otherwise obstructing public space in many areas of Los Angeles. Earlier this week, activists gathered at the steps of City Hall in downtown Los Angeles to rally against the criminalization of homelessness. Stephen Chun, organizer and activist with J-Town Action and Solidarity, spoke about the ongoing violence against the unhoused community. Here's what he said. We are rejecting nurious, divisive, harmful narratives that are consistently trying to pit housed, the housed working class against our unhoused neighbors. This is a bullshit distinction, we know it. Second, we are also rejecting the bullshit notion that providing people with the most basic human dignity, health, and safety is somehow enabling them. And to Nuri Martinez, switch up again. And to Nuri Martinez, we say people are not on the streets because they have a porta potty. They're on the streets because of the failure of these city officials to provide the basics of affordable housing and other services. And just a couple more things, so now for our concrete demands. So first, we are here to demand that Eric Garcetti finally put his money where his mouth is and immediately restore uh, and extend the contracts to those removed restrooms and hygiene stations. Yeah. Next, we are here to demand that city council members take action too because we know we have to hold them accountable as well. We know that they, they too have the power and resources and funds to do the very same thing and immediately restore, restore those necessities to our unhoused neighbors throughout the entire city. And of course, because we know how ineffective and incompetent these people are, we know that we will have to be the ones to pressure them into doing the right thing. And so, uh, my last thing I want to say is just everyone, please help us continue this pressure, continue calling into their offices, make these demands to them, and continue showing up for things like public comment so that we can make sure that they do the right thing. Every person has the right to proper sanitation and basic health and dignity, and we will not stand by and watch as the city launches attack after attack on our unhoused neighbors. Thank you for listening, and all power to the people. You're listening to The People with David and Fam. When David and I kick off headlines, you'll sometimes hear us say the following. Our show usually focuses on stories that remain local to Angelinos. However, The People was born out of the need and desire to focus on social justice issues locally, nationally, and abroad. As humans, we are connected through our fight for equity, freedom, and common humanity. What happens beyond our city impacts the lives of those immediately around us, whether or not we see or experience it directly. The current warming trends we've felt for years in LA, even the stories you might have heard recently about heat waves in Portland and Seattle a few weeks ago, are some results of human activity since the mid-20th century. On a global scale, climate change has already exhibited very obvious effects on our environment. Glaciers have shrunk, sea levels have risen, heat waves have become more intense, the lives of planets and animals have shifted, and more. So today, as we focus on talking about environmental issues and legislation, we welcome two individuals who are active with the Sunrise Movement in Los Angeles. Abby Austin is a youth climate organizer, activist, and Democratic Party delegate for California's 51st Assembly District. She serves as Sunrise Movement LA's political lead and lives in Northeast Los Angeles. 
Amir King is a 14-year-old climate change activist and organizer from Temple City in the San Gabriel Valley. He's a member of Democratic Socialists of America, Los Angeles chapter, as well as Sunrise Movement LA Youth. He was recently appointed to the Temple City Youth Committee and works as an outreach coordinator for a grassroots progressive congressional campaign in California's 38th Congressional District. Abby and Amir, thank you so much for joining us on the People with David and Fam. Thank you for having us. This is so exciting. Glad to be on here. Let's kick things off. Can you tell us, before we dive into all the dope work y'all do and what Sunrise Movement is about, let's tell people, what is the Sunrise Movement? So the Sunrise Movement is a cross-class, multiracial coalition of young people in America fighting for climate justice. So it was started in 2017, and um, Sunrise really started making headlines in November of 2018 with a sit-in in uh, Nancy Pelosi's office, the Speaker of the House. Um, AOC was at that sit-in, and that was sort of her debut as well. She had just won the midterm um, for her district in New York. and. Ever since then, Sunrise spends a lot of time pushing and pulling uh, Congress left and um, trying to dictate climate legislation um, federally. And also, um, it's a decentralized movement. So there are hubs in cities all over the U.S. um, doing work more locally, too. Two things. First question. Is that when Sunrise Movement was born? Yeah, so Sunrise Movement started in 2017, I think with some friends. Uh, It was sort of a combination of a few friend groups who started it on the East Coast. Um, And then all of the hubs sort of came about, I think, after it started getting press in the end of 2018. So I know Sunrise LA started in 2019. So the entire movement is super new. It's like, you know, three or four years old. Got it. And and you had stated cross-class, cross-race that stuck out. Is LA representative of that, Sunrise Movement LA? I think it is. I think we are doing better at achieving that than we have in the past, and we can do even better than we're doing right now. Um, LA is so big, LA County, 10 million people. It's, it could be its own state. You know, it would be the eighth largest state. Um, and we do right now have organizers from... South LA, Northeast LA, the Valley, um, cities like Amir is from in the San Gabriel Valley. Um, and, you know, I think we can do an even better job of recruiting, but I, I think our hub is doing pretty well right now. But that is the goal because, you know, the policies that we're fighting for in the Green New Deal, they would really impact our generation and uplift the working class. And we need an actual movement in America to fight for these things. So that has to include everyone. I would add cross age because Amir. So Amir, how are you recruited? I was recruited through, ooh, this is going to sound bad. I was recruited through Instagram. That's how people <laughs> recruited these days. Um, I was, I think it was the beginning of the pandemic. I was going down this like rabbit hole of like progressive media. And I think um, I saw something on the coverage that um, the Sunrise Movement had on the Nancy Pelosi sit-in, which is like one of our biggest actions today. And then also, I think there were a few local ones across the country too. Um, Like on my Instagram feed, I saw Sunrise LAU do um, a bunch of wide awakes for politicians, which is like when they go to their houses really, really early in the morning and annoy the hell out of them to kind of punish them or to push them on certain issues. And that was like super cool. Um, So I checked out their website. I did a little bit of internet digging and I reached out and here I am now. (laughs) So across both groups, both Sunrise Movement LA and the youth group, how many members are there? Um, You know, it varies. Right now, we just did a big cleanup of our Slack organizing space. So I think we have 60 to 70 super active members who are probably, you know, meeting every week. Um, And there was probably 80% turnover from now to a year ago. So a lot of people do come and go. Um, But when, before we did the Slack cleanup, we had, I think, 600 people in our Slack. 
So we definitely have all sorts of ladders, you know, a ladder of engagement. And um, some people just come out to actions, but probably 60 for Sunrise LA. Okay, so talk about some of the different levels of engagement there. We'll talk more about this at the end on how people can contact you and everything as well. But what are the different levels of engagement for Sunrise? Yeah, so for our hub, um, we have a few really active teams. We have a Green New Deal teach-in team that focuses on educating the public. Um, they've done a teach-in with unions too. Um, we have a political team, which is my team, that focuses on actions, endorsements, educational campaigns, but sort of in a different way. Um, we have a partnerships team that is working on policy with other environmental justice orgs in LA. JEDI team, justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion. So I would say joining a team, those are pretty committed people that are spending a few hours a week organizing with us. And then there's sort of a lower ladder of people who might come out to events or um, help with certain tasks, um, you know, but every everyone is really helpful. I mean, we need when we have an event or an action, like this most recent one, um, they were doing a lot of text banking and people came out, like people want to get engaged. So even for those people who can't commit to doing something every single day because they have long work days, um, you know, you can definitely get involved. Before we dive in to the nitty gritty with your recent actions, Abby, how did you end up joining Sunrise and what area of those four areas do you work in? Yeah, so I actually found out about Sunrise from an episode of Queer Eye. <laughs> Apparently, they had a huge influx of volunteers because this other girl named Abby actually was on Queer Eye and got a makeover. And I was like, my name's Abby. I saw that episode. Sorry <laughs> to so interject. <laughs> yes. It was so good. Yeah. Um, and at the time, I really cared about the climate, but was sort of of the mindset of like individual action, you know, composting, eating vegan, all of those sorts of things, not flying. I would drive my car to Northern California so that I didn't fly on a plane for work. Um, and hearing her say during the episode that seven or it's a hundred companies cover 70% of the total pollution. I was like, oh my God, my whole worldview just shifted. Um, so that's how I got engaged. And then I, my first Sunrise event was a phone bang for Jamal Bowman. So that was last June. And then I found out that there were hubs. So I joined the Sunrise LA hub. Um, and so it's been about 13 months that I've been organizing with Sunrise LA. And what part of Sunrise are you working in? I am on the political team. Great. So what is a recent thing that the political team has worked on? I mean, there's many, but the most recent. Yeah, well, right now we're in the middle of the Good Jobs for All campaign. Um, so that is a campaign pushing for a civilian climate core um, and also working on making a really bold infrastructure package to mobilize our country for all of these terrible natural disasters that are climate related and hitting all over. Um, and we're going to continue working on that. We're also going to be hopefully soon um, working with a frontline community in LA on raising awareness and bringing their situation um, to the forefront of the electoral races that are happening near them. So that will launch next month. So civilian climate, no, you said so much. Civilian Climate Corps, what's that? For those who haven't heard that. Yeah, so the Civilian Climate Corps is uh, a proposal based on FDR's conservation, Civilian Conservation Corps. Um, and so that was this program that employed a quarter million people within the span of a few months um, back after the depression. And in the span of the program's life, it employed 3 million Americans. And so the idea is to do the same thing for the climate crisis we're facing right now coming off of the COVID recession. So the Civilian Climate Corps would employ young people. And it's different from the from programs like AmeriCorps in the sense that AmeriCorps is usually more affluent college graduates and they're deployed to communities and sort of prescribing what the community needs. The Civilian Climate Corps would employ people in their own communities 
um, and base what they're doing off of community leaders, but they would, for example, um, in LA, a civilian climate corps member might be working on wildfire mitigation. They might work on rainwater recapture. They might plant trees because we have huge inequities in shade covering in LA. Um, and they might even do care work. So the care economy is super low carbon. So caring for older folks, caring for babies and young children, um, that could also be part of the core. And for those who are wondering, how is that connected to climate change? Yeah, so, you know, we need to do a lot on climate and the Civilian Climate Corps, in terms of decreasing the amount of carbon in our atmosphere, it's not the biggest thing we have to do. But the reason that Sunrise decided to push for it is because it is an example of how we have to change our relationship to the government. So if we're going to face the climate crisis, we actually have to have a government that works for us. We have to expect more from the government. And it's a really cool way for the federal government to say, hey, we believe in union jobs. We believe in a living wage, um, giving people health care. And um, yeah, the idea is that young people could be empowered and they're basically being trained as lifelong organizers, right? So um, that's why Sunrise decided to push for a CCC versus like a tax credit or another sort of neoliberal type thing. Amir, I want you to jump in here as well because you're part of Sunrise movement, the youth side. Can you talk about what your role is with that organization? Sunrise LA Youth Hub is like um, another, we're, we're, we're in the same um, like ju jurisdictions. Like we both cover LA County, um, but like we are middle school and high school age students. So um, that's a little bit different. Um, it's, it, is, it is a little bit easier when it comes to like working out schedules or stuff because um, stuff doesn't sound very professional. Um, but <laughs> when it comes to, because we're high school students, like we kind of like have more of an understanding of where each other's at, each other is at, um, and our issues or the projects we work on sometimes might vary from Sunrise LA, although we do do a lot of collaboration, like we might plan different things, but we're always there to back up each other. Um, Sunrise LA really came through with the Feinstein action, um, we planned it, but they were just awesome. They brought so many people. They brought the energy. It was amazing. But um, regarding like numbers, we have about 170 members, um, which which seems a little bit lower it's compared to LA. We have around 60 active members that are part of the core team, um, which is like sort of a, a group of the hub's leaders that go through a lot of decisions or what's going on in the hub. Um, it is a little bit difficult because um, as soon as people are done with high school, they usually graduate and move on to somewhere else. So we do have a phasing out of leadership, which happens very often. Um, I was phased in in January um, for an actions lead position because the person before me was a senior and they had just graduated this year. So, um, Familiar faces are sometimes hard to combine in the LA Youth Hub just because of how quickly things move, but it's good. It's a nice pace. Okay, first off, 60 to 70 members, active members, you said, right? Mm -hmm. For, I believe, for your organization is pretty freaking tight. So, like, don't, don't knock it. Don't knock that. That's pretty freaking awesome. So, I think having the opportunity to partner with Sunrise Movement LA, it makes a huge difference. The The work that y'all are doing is so incredible. So I definitely want you to remember that, even though you say maybe 60 or 70 members might sound small, but the impact that y'all are making is massive. Yeah. I So has, has Sunrise Youth LA played a role in the Good Jobs for All campaign? And if so, how? We have. Um part of one of the first actions that we kicked off with was um, one of the first days of action, Sunrise LA had planned a banner job um, targeted at Senator Alex Padilla, who had recently in like April 
had just been appointed to his Senate seat. I'm gonna ignore how the timelines don't match, but <laughs> <laughs> my memory fails me. But um, we had been planning a banner drop. It was like one of our first um, pandemic actions. So it was like really amazing to get to see all these people that like we've been meeting with for months over Zoom and um, doing that banner job. Um, after that banner job, that very day, there was a meeting with um, Alex Padilla that he had with the Progressive Caucus. And one of our amazing um, hub members, Simon, he went up and he confronted Alex Padilla about it. And we ended up getting a meeting with him with Alex Padilla's office and we'd set that up. We met with um, the senator and his staffers, and on that call were a bunch of hubs from across California. We had Sonoma County that was being represented up in North California. We had Kern, which has the highest rates of oil drilling in any county in California. So we had this like cross, cross class, cross race um, collaboration. Um, talking to the senator, and we had gotten him to sign on to the Good Jobs for All pledge, and um, it was a huge, impressive win. Um, and it, the story is kind of funny because when he had just been appointed, we'd seen that he had killed Medicare for All for California when he was in the state senate by voting no. So we were really expecting more of a fight. But like as the action led up, he was tweeting in support of you know Medicare for All, and he was supporting. Um, he was tweeting in support of, you know, getting rid of the filibuster so we could pass the Green New Deal, which is like a two-in-one combo. Like, um, he's, he had sort of built himself up to be pretty progressive. So after we got him to sign on, um, he ended up co-sponsoring AOC and Ed Markey Civilian Climate Corps, which we were really proud, of, proud about. So that's just like a glimpse into one of the actions that LA Youth has put on. Has Diane Feinstein, has she added her name? She has not co-sponsored the legislation, but she did um, co-sign onto a letter in support of a civilian climate corps that came out today, I believe. Okay. And there were a few familiar names on it. So Abfidia, it was AOC and Marky, Judy Chu, who represents me. Um, I had called her office six times about it, but... Um, <laughs> And there was, you know, Ted Lieu, a bunch of other progressives, which was really nice to see. I believe it was 84 co-sponsors in total. Really awesome. And you were recently at Senator Feinstein's office, correct? We were. And why were you there? Yeah, um, what was the what was the action at Senator Feinstein's office? Um, we had planned a rally because I know that like in 2018, she had a pretty sweeping victory. As she told the kids up in San Francisco, you know, I won by almost a million votes. So like, I know what's better, um, but she doesn't. Um, and so she had been really silent about this specific old civilian climate court, $132 billion investment in our communities and um, she had been talking the talk, you know, she'd been like, climate change is bad, this and that, but we hadn't really seen her actually act. So, um, yeah, we were there to demand that she meet with us for one, like Alex Padilla had done, um, that she, you know, stop collaborating with Republicans that clearly don't care about our burning cities or like our flooding. The, how what hurricanes hitting the East, they don't care about that. They care about their corporations that they're protecting and they care about their profit. And yet Diane was collaborating with them. So we wanted her to stop with that nonsense. It was like a 600 billion um, bipartisan infrastructure package that would have privatized a lot of the um, infrastructure that was being built. That was like pretty much a sellout. Um, we didn't want that. We wanted um, a huge reconciliation bill package that would have included the Civilian Climate Corps that we wanted, the one that AOC introduced. So we were there to demand that. And by the looks of it, you know, we had some success, I would say, looking at the letter that came out today. Abby, we haven't asked you in a while, but was there anything you wanted to add to this as well? Yeah, well, I just want to give Amira a shout out because 
I don't think he really touched on the fact that he slept on the street with other teenagers and 20-somethings for two nights outside of Feinstein's office. Um, because their whole message around this action was, we are going to stay here until you meet our demands. You aren't leaving, we aren't leaving. They have this amazing banner. And so, you know, they killed it. It was an amazing action. Um, they literally slept on Santa Monica Boulevard outside of her office. There were people from Sunrise LA doing shifts, watching them and making sure that everybody was okay. And we had amazing members of the community bringing food, um, bringing snacks, provisions, and just coming out to support. There was a live band, they had rallies. So honestly, just kudos to Sunrise LA Youth. It was an amazing action um, and it was very cool to see. So yeah, and just, so the letter that came out today, um, you know, Biden has come out with a pitch for a civilian climate core that's worth, I think, $10 billion, something in that ballpark, um, which is pretty much not helpful whatsoever. Um, and so the one that we had demanded was $132 billion. And this letter that came out today was uh, really, really bold. I think it's I don't think it mentioned a number, um, but it did mention all of the requirements expected, including making sure that people from frontline communities are included, making sure that um, people get educational benefits, like they can go to college after they serve, um, making sure that it's union jobs. And so not only did Feinstein say that she supported a CCC, but she's supporting um, one that is sort of based in justice, which is surprising for her. <laughs> now, I know that Sunrise Movement also had a recent action in D.C. Was this part of that push? Yes, it was. Both Amir and I were in D.C. for that action. That was at the end of June. That was also part of Good Jobs for All. Um, around the time when you saw the photo of Biden and Kristen Sinema and Joe Manchin and the Republicans outside the White House um, that same week, Sunrisers from around the country flew, took buses, traveled to DC to march and protest. And so I think it was over 500 young people. We marched to the White House. We had a rally with AOC and Jamal Bowman and Cori Bush um, demanding a CCC, demanding that Biden stop negotiating with Republicans and that he meet with climate organizers from Sunrise and not with corrupt GOP. And then we blockaded all 10 entrances of the White House and cut off all access for hours in the afternoon. Um, and so the blockades were by location. So we had a California blockade, which was super fun. And um, actually the new prime minister of Israel, I think it's the prime minister, uh, was coming to the White House that day. And so we started chanting uh, pro-Palestine chants. And it was just really cool. It was amazing. And then one of the blockades, the Boston hub, started getting arrested. So we all left our blockades and sang songs while they were getting arrested. And it was very powerful. It was really cool. Is this one of the first times all the hubs have come together or have there been previous as well? I think that there was something in Northern California, but I don't know what it was because I wasn't organizing the sunrise yet. Um, so for me, this was the first time that it ever happened. Got it. And how many people were there in total? Um, over 500. Wow. That's, that's really incredible. And I mean, you had mentioned that this was your first time with the cross collaboration between the hubs across the nation. Are there current plans to collaborate like this again? Um. For the Washington March, it was a huge collaboration. Um, we had our day of action for um, Alex videos, one of the targets, but hubs across the nation also did their days of action targeting their Congress members. Um, and leading up to the march on DC, um, there were various marches. So there was one from, I believe, St. Louis all the way to Ted Cruz's house in Texas. That was a 400-mile march, I believe, um, and that a lot of people got arrested there. But it was just to show it was a message to Biden to you know not waste away our futures. Um, we we also had um, 
a brave group of Sunrisers in California from multiple hubs. They marched from Paradise, California, all the way to Nancy Pelosi's house in San Francisco, which was a 260-mile trek, which is not a small feat either. It was super impressive of them. And that was something um, that also was in partnerships with Pennsylvania that did a 100-mile trek. So there were a lot of treks going around leading up to this march in D.C., and there were a lot of results from it also. We saw, you know, Nancy Pelosi um, coming out in support of the progressive civilian crime corps that we want and not Biden's um, civilian crime corps. She went as far as far as to say that if this civilian crime corps wasn't in a reconciliation bill and it wasn't passed through the Senate, she wouldn't vote on the bipartisan one, which is like huge for Nancy Pelosi because of how um, how much of a blockade she's been in the past for progressive legislation. Um, right after the Washington, D.C. march, they, New York City, they did an awesome action at Chuck Schumer's office, which led to um, Chuck Schumer coming out in support. So we have, you know, the heads of both House and Senate coming out in support of this, which really put a lot of pressure on the moderates in both the House and the Senate. And... Um, even with this Feinstein action, we did it um, at the, on the end of our last day. We passed the baton on to Bay Area Sunrise and San Diego Sunrise, and they did their actions at Feinstein's offices in those locations as well. That's awesome. So quite a bit of cross-team collaboration here, which is pretty tight. Yeah. I want to take it back to the movement in LA for a second. At the beginning of the interview, Abby, you had mentioned the different branches of engagement that people can get involved in. So there was the Green New Deal team, the political team, partnerships and JEDI, which is a really awesome acronym. Um, and there's one specifically with the Green New Deal team, you mentioned that y'all focus on educating the public about the Green New Deal. For those who are unaware what this is the term can seem a little bit overwhelming, almost like when you say defund the police, a lot of people turn the other way. So can you, one, explain to people what the Green New Deal is, and two, talk about how Sunrise Movement focuses on educating the public? For sure. I'm just sitting here nodding, as you say, um, that it's reactionary, <laughs> but truly what the Green New Deal is, it was a resolution introduced by AOC and Ed Markey. And it's very short. I think it's the length of like 100 tweets. Um, so anyone could read it. And it basically changes. It's a resolution to change, um, to mobilize our government to fight the climate crisis. And it includes um, indigenous sovereignty, um, indigenous stewardship of the land, uh, union jobs, um, you know, prioritizing marginalized people and people of color who've been most effective, most affected by environmental injustices. Um, and so as a resolution, you know, that doesn't, it means a lot if it gets passed, it hasn't been passed yet, but it also has to be accompanied by a lot of bills. So now we're seeing newer members of the house, like, um, Jamal Bowman and Cori Bush introducing actual legislation. Um, so there's going to be a Green New Deal for public schools by Jamal Bowman and a Green New Deal for cities by Cori Bush. Um, and so, yeah, a Green New Deal is basically, it's sort of morals or um, ethics saying what we believe in as a country. And um, it's sort of a code that we can go forward with in cities, um, in state legislatures, and federally. And so Sunrise LA has done these Green New Deal teach-ins um, in partnership with Sunrise National. So the ones in LA became so popular that Sunrise National actually started promoting them, and AOC shared one, actually, which was really cool. Um, but the idea is just to show people 
how a Green New Deal would change their life. So, you know, it's one thing to say, to talk about the Green New Deal as if it's just another piece of legislation, but, you know, a Green New Deal for Los Angeles would look different than one in New York, than one in the Gulf South. Um, and so in LA, we're really trying to focus on showing the community what this could mean for them. Um, and another part of that that's sort of developing is having talks with unions because, um, you know, we need unions on our side for this sort of uh, labor lift. Um, we're talking about transitioning tons of oil and gas workers to, you know, green jobs. And so um, it's also a way to just start those conversations. When and how can people participate in one of these teach-ins? Yeah, so right now the teach-ins team is paused, but they're going to start back up in the fall, I think. Um, for now, we have tons of stuff that will be coming up soon. So um, our hub took a bit of a pause over the last few months to sort of restructure, and um, honestly, because our leaders needed a bit of a break, but we're relaunching. We have our first in-person house meeting on July 31st, and after that, we'll hopefully have tons of events posted on our socials that people can come to and get engaged and then get um, plugged in based on their interests from there. Does Sunrise Movement LA also work with other LA orgs? Yeah, I think, you know, I think we overlap in a couple different spaces. Our partnerships team has worked a lot with environmental justice orgs in LA. So Stand LA is an organization of frontline community members that fight to get oil rigs out of their neighborhoods. Um, and there's Seha and Sierra Club and those sorts of orgs in that space. And then I think also, you know, in the progressive organizer spaces in LA, like Ground Game LA, DSA LA, uh, People City Council, we also overlap, K-Town for All, um, and we hope to expand that even more. Um, we're interested in doing a program for public housing. So that would be a cool way to connect with Streets for All and those sorts of organizations. So it's not just about fighting climate change, but something bigger. And so how does fighting climate change connect to that bigger movement struggle and push for, for social justice? I think for me, um, Obviously, climate change and climate chaos is going to be the defining uh, force in my adult life and in our generation. But that being said, I think it's also an opportunity for us to address a lot of the systemic inequities that we see all the time. So when we're talking about climate justice and building a movement of young people, this is really an opportunity for us to change our relationship with everything. I mean, we're going to have to have tough conversations about why capitalism can't solve this crisis, but we can have a government that works for us. We can guarantee housing for all. Um, we can improve public housing. We can, you know, invest more in public education. Um, we can have good jobs that pay a fair wage so that nobody has to work two jobs. So I really think that wherever people are coming from, this is a great opportunity for us to mobilize and to build solidarity across classes and decide and demand that we want something better for our future. And Amir, how about you? For me, we've all heard the reports saying that like what, we have 10 years to turn everything around before it all goes to words that I cannot say. <laughs> no, you can. Go ahead and okay. say it. <laughs> um, well, we only have 10 years to turn this mess around before everything goes to hell. Like, unlike Diane, I'm going to be here for a very, very long time. I like, I'm only 14, you know, if I can live to be as old as her, I have 70 years left, which is like, by then, if we haven't addressed this to the degree that it needs to be addressed by, I am going to be in deep shit. And also like, we're already experiencing the effects now. Um, like Abby said, like we need a multiracial, multi-class coalition to, to basically address this raging issue because like 
you know, for the people in communities that are, for the people who can't afford to move other places, their communities are the places that oil companies target and build oil drilling around. And even for people who can have the luxury of moving around, you know, if the entirety of a state or the entirety of a region is at a hundred degree heat, like unless you can be pull a Ted Cruz and just fly out of there, um, you where, where are you gonna go? Um, and even like in um, Southern California, you know, we have wildfires up in North California, while we have droughts impending in Southern California. And when Portland, Oregon, when their temperatures went to 110 degrees, 100 something people died. So like, this is serious. And when we talk about having teachers working with environmentalists, we have like the green schools campaign going, um, getting people who usually have no other choice or don't have work into these jobs that can actually do something for our environment and do something for everyone. Jobs that like people can be proud of because um, like, especially California, we're the state of immigrants. Um, but for a lot of undocumented folks, they end up working jobs that barely pay anything because they don't have the documents. They, have, they aren't able to make jobs, to have jobs that pay anything else for people who don't speak other languages, like my dad. Um, my dad and my mom both don't speak English fluently. So during the pandemic, when Diane was divesting her stocks, um, my dad lost his job. And um, my mom and I drove for Postmates for a summer because my mom couldn't speak English. But we needed something, so I went with her. And, you know, Orange County, because um, that's where the most orders were, but it was Orange County during the summer, 106 degree heat. Like, it was crazy. So um, I don't see a person, I mean, with our entire planet, like everywhere is going to be affected. I don't see a person that can escape this. So why don't we all just come together and fix this so that we all can leave our future generations with a planet that's habitable. And for us, for goodness sakes, because in the past generations have always been like, you know, it's not going to affect us. It's affecting us. Mm -hmm. It definitely is affecting us. So I want to ask, this question is for the both of you. What does activism mean to y'all? For me, I think, I think activism is just, I think bring awareness to issues um, as to as much of a capacity that you're able to. I know that like everyone hates on people for um, reposting Instagram posts and, you know, if they're like, they click repost and they think it's activism. Um, for some people who might not have the capacities, maybe it is, you know? For someone who has to, um, for teenagers who have to take care of their siblings and they have to, you know, study for um, their SATs, they have they have all these things on their hands, maybe it is. And activism is also fighting about those who can't fight for themselves. So, you know, if I have the capacity to um, advocate for these things that are going to help people who don't have the capacity to advocate for it, I'm going to take it. And I think activism is just like standing up for what you believe in and just creating change. Um, that's my definition of activism. Abby, you want to? <laughs> no, I think that's an amazing definition. I totally agree. I think that, you know, as organizers and activists, something that's really important to have is hope. And also it's really important to have empathy and respect for your community. Um, you know, just because people might not be on board with the Green New Deal right now, we're still fighting for them. We're fighting for people in our generation who aren't organizing for Sunrise. We're fighting for people who can't organize. And so I think having a great deal of empathy. Um, and also I really do think that doing things locally is so important. Um, organizing your workspace, organizing your neighborhood, um, that's just as important as staying engaged um, as anything else. And starting with Abby this time, where does your activism come from? It's a really good question. I, 
I didn't organize in this way in high school or college. Um, I did have a lot of existential crises in college, wondering, you know, wanting to change the world and not knowing what my path would be in doing that. But I think I just feel too much empathy for other people. And um, I had a professor in college say that we all had to choose our issue. This was for my major, which was um, managing for social impact. And she said we had to choose an issue and stick with it. And that would be the issue we worked on. And I thought that was bogus because I cared about too many things. And I feel like climate change and this crisis is an opportunity to care about everything and to change our health care and to change, you know, guarantee housing, to get people off the street, um, to change our relationship with nature. So I feel like I'm cheating. I'm proving her wrong. <laughs> and that's, that's where I get into this. And Amir, where does your activism come from? Um, there are so many answers to this. Uh, but I'm going to choose, like, my family and, like, the community around me. Um, because my parents are here and they didn't really have anyone to advocate for them. So when I, like, grow up, or even now, I want to be someone that's advocating for immigrants and for people by rights in my community, who um, I'm sad to say, like, you know, the AAPI community, like, we don't vote, unfortunately. Um, like, it took my, it took me, like, 10 years to convince my mom to cast her first ballot in the 2020 election, which I was so proud about. Um, so a lot of it definitely stems back to where I'm from. You know, um, like, for example, right now, my assembly member, they're talking about um, he's going through the process and people are saying that he's going to be appointed to a judicial seat in the, um, for the Superior Court. And right now it's a question of whether or not my community will be able to mobilize and find someone that represents us rather than someone that um, corporations can pay or corporations can pay the current incumbents representing us to endorse someone who doesn't represent our values. And a lot of the times it's hard to see past that because when you've had big names who've been around for so long, I know like David, you have some experience with the person you're running against. Um, it comes to a case where it like the state, the current assembly person and the Congresswoman have both decided to endorse someone. And I like right now, that's where my activism is right now, making sure that like the person that we choose to replace them is someone that my community can count on. That's awesome to hear. Thank you so much to both you, Abby, and you, Amir, for joining our show. And for those of you listening, you can find Sunrise Movement at sunrisemovement.org. And you can also find both of their Instagrams at Sunrise MVMTLA and Sunrise LA Youth. Once again, Abby and Amir, thank you so much for joining us on The People with David and Fam. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much for having us. You're listening to The People with David and Fam. Every Wednesday at 3 p.m., Black Lives Matter Los Angeles hosts a rally in front of the ACLU SoCal building at 1313 West 8th Street. Their action Fun services, not police, centers around ending and abolishing police associations that consistently refuse to hold cops accountable for their actions. This includes the criminalization of Black and Brown community members and the failure to prosecute killer cops. During these gatherings, BLMLA holds space for the families of victims of police violence. They also feature speakers such as Dr. Melina Abdullah, Baba Akili, Janaya Future Khan, and more. To learn more about Black Lives Matter Los Angeles, visit at BLM Los Angeles on Instagram. So we've gotten to that time of our show again, where I ask you, what are you grateful for, David? I am grateful for my... <laughs> this, is, this seems boring, but to my, to my seniors and supervisors at work, y'all like totally give me so much support and... I don't know what I'd do uh, without y'all. I'm learning so much and thank you for so much of the support. But yeah, 
I, I take it for granted because I think I have this instant, I don't know, like we're trained to like dread Mondays sometimes and it's like, oh, I don't want to go to work or whatever. But I, I've come to realize like I didn't know that a workplace could be like a family place too where you can just count on them for support. And so it's really breaking my mentality of work being this dungeon in prison shaped uh, from the past. And so, <laughs> uh, yes, there's a lot of work. I, I'm not I'm not denying that, but, but yeah, thankful for them. How about you, Christina? What are you thankful for? What are you grateful for? Oh my goodness. I feel as though over the past week, so much has happened just within our our LA community and also in the games industry. And I'm gonna talk specifically about the games industry because I've been in it for many, many years now. And for those who are most likely unaware, there is a company called Activision Blizzard and they're known for very, very massive games such as WoW, World of Warcraft, Call of Duty, Hearthstone. And they're one of the biggest game companies in the world. And the DFEH, um, the California Department of Fair Employment and Housing, is suing them for allegations of harassing female employees, paying them less, promoting them less than their male counterparts. And there is definitely gratitude here. It doesn't sound like it right now, but I come from a very toxic game studio, another studio called Riot Games. And this story coming out is extremely traumatic and very, very triggering for me to kind of relive my own experiences too. But the part that I am grateful for here is that there are so many more people, both women and men and particularly people of color within my industry that are much more vocal and open in terms of talking about these topics now topics that used to be considered taboo in our industry and i am so grateful for them um the the other day i was talking to the creative director of the project i'm working on on, on just like how the industry has changed for both of us over the years, but listening to him speak and reflect on, on him as a black man in an industry that he's been in for over 20 years and how the industry has changed for him is extremely inspiring because there have been just so many times where I've considered leaving the industry because of these toxic workplace scenarios, constantly being on calls with lawyers and bullshit like that because of these things that we're going through. But having that, again, this is gonna come back to the support system that I do both at work and back at home and in my community to be able to talk about these things to process what I'm going through, I am so extremely grateful for. And the other part of folks that I'm grateful for are are those individuals, the allies, the the male allies um, and the white male allies that have found their their comfort in this discomfort to walk through this journey with those of us who have experienced this it is so vital and has shown so much growth within both themselves and also the industry so if you're listening and you're curious about this, you should definitely look up the Activision Blizzard lawsuit or the ActaBliz walkout, um, the employee stage to walk out earlier this week. So um, it's definitely something that is shaking the games industry. And this isn't something that'll go away. It might not stay in the headlines and spotlight for a long time. And I hope that it does though, but this is a process that has started and it will not go away. Um, very similarly to the 2018 Riot Games lawsuit that is still going on. So yeah, very, very long-winded answer, but there's a lot happening this week. So yeah. <laughs> no, thank you. That was very informative, but no, very important. So please check out that um, Activision lawsuit. And once again, we would like to thank Abby Austin and Amir King for joining us on our show today. You can hang out with us every Saturday morning starting at 10 a.m. Pacific time on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever else you get your podcasts. We're also on Instagram and Twitter at the people underscore LA. That's at the people underscore LA. You can also email us at the people Los Angeles at gmail.com. 
We're active on social media. So let us know what you thought about this week's episode. And please tell us what you want to hear about in upcoming shows, including guest recommendations. We want to know what matters to you. The People with David and Fam is hosted by David Kim and me, Christina Diem Pham. We also produce the show together. Our sound editors are Jeff McAllister and Nasser Malik. Jeff also composes our music. Remember, our show is rooted in you, the people. We're here to turn up the volume on your voices. We're here to hold space for your concerns. And ultimately, we're here to empower and arm y'all with the knowledge to make informed decisions as community members. Talk to y'all next week. <laughs>